You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. We are in Acts part number 15, and the series is entitled, The Book of Acts, The Spirit-Empowered Church. Now, if you're new to Radiant Church or if you're new to church in general, I'm welcome. We love new visitors. We get them every single week, by the way. The book of Acts is the story and the life of the early church. So if you're ever wondering, what is this whole thing, uh, this whole church thing all about? Well, look no further to the book of Acts because that's where we learn what the first Christians did, what went well, what went terribly wrong, right? Everything in between. It's the life of the early church, and we're going through this entire book, and it's going to take a while. We're going to stay in Acts until the end of May, and then in June, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to go into a message series, four or five weeks, called Disciple, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, and Guess what? It's not just a church goer. It's so much more than that. So we're going to talk about discipleship, and the series will be called Disciple in June. For now, we'll stay in the book of Acts, because I've told you before that we need the discipline of learning how to read an entire book of the Bible, and then take those stories and apply them to our lives today. We need that discipline. I I love devotionals, and I love those, you know, bumper sticker Christianity types of things and the verse of the day. That's all great, and I'm glad that you're doing that, but we also need to grow up in our faith, and we need to learn how to read the book of the Bible, books of the Bible, learn about their context, what was taking place in history at that moment, who was involved, all of those things we need to grow up and be able to do. Amen, church? Amen. All right, I'll say amen if you don't, okay? Today, we're in Acts chapter 11. Someone's got to cheer me on, right? Acts chapter 11. Now, the beginning of Acts chapter 11, we're just going to skip right over it because it's basically a recap of the last time that we were in Acts. Do you guys remember Peter? Peter hung out with a guy named Cornelius, and he went to his house. The big deal about that is that Cornelius was a Roman centurion. So those guys are like nothing alike. You got a Jewish guy. And a, and, a, and a Gentile, a Roman centurion at that, well, Peter goes into his house to share the good news. Cornelius' whole family gets saved. Like the Holy Spirit comes down. It's like amazing. And uh, we talked about how God takes different people. He breaks down barriers. He brings together very different people. And what does he do? He makes them family. He makes them family. And that is the beauty of the gospel that is what God does uh, in our midst. And today, we're going to pick things up in verse number 19, and then we're going to go all the way to verse number 30. If you have a Bible, join me. If you don't have a Bible, um, we'll have the verses right behind me. I would love for you to, to, to tag along, to read along, and let's continue this story in the book of Acts, and let's see what God is up to. We'll read the verses, and then I'll pray, then we'll get into the message for the morning. Let's begin in verse number 19. Luke is the writer. He's a medical doctor, and he says this. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, y'all remember Stephen? He was the first martyr. 
was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, quick time out for you, because we're talking about a lot of cities here. You heard Antioch. That's a, that's a major part of our story. And you also heard Cyrene. So let me just show you a map quickly of the Mediterranean area here to give you a visual. Can you guys see that big red arrow there? That is pointing at the city of Antioch. Now, Antioch is on the border of modern-day Syria and um, Turkey. That's where it's found. And I want you to look where it says Palestine. Uh, draw your eyes sort of uh, down below, and you'll see Jerusalem there. Do you notice the great distance from Jerusalem to Antioch? It's a long way away. In fact, in kilometers, it's 750 kilometers. We don't really do that in the United States. So it's about 450 miles from Jerusalem, you guys. That's crazy. And that's crazy because that's a long way for them to travel by foot, okay? No jet airplanes, no Teslas, remember? No helicopters, okay? They had to walk. They walked all this way. They've gotten all the way north to Antioch, and they're spreading the gospel there in a very cosmopolitan city. We'll talk about um, we'll talk about Antioch in a, little, in a little while. I'll give you some more context, but I wanted you to see this on a map so you could see the great distance that the gospel was beginning to spread in the world in that time. Let's go back to verse number 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad, or literally in the Greek, it's, it's actually he rejoiced. He was glad and encouraged them to all remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man. He was full of faith, or full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for who? For Saul. You guys remember Saul? Saul was basically essentially a Pharisee. Saul was saved. He came to the, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was converted. So um, Barnabas goes to Tarsus. He finds Saul and says, yo, I need help. Come back with me to Antioch. So he's recruiting some help now. Verse number 26, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and they taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The word Christians there literally means little Jesuses or little anointed ones. Kind of gives you an idea. It's only used, I believe, three times in the New Testament. Actually, um, followers of Jesus, they preferred to be called believers, actually. They did not prefer to be called Christians because there was too much political overtone in that, in that title, which is super interesting, right? Verse number 27, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Holy Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world, okay? This happened during the reign of Claudius. I want you to notice that there are specific names and specific regions listed in the Bible. If you've ever questioned the Bible, is it valid? Is it, can I trust it? Is it just another book written by men? Well, 
here's one of the proofs that it is real and credible because it gives us real people in history, real locations that are actually there, all right? It's rooted in history. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did this, sending their gift, so they took up an offering, uh, to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So we're going to stop right there. I want to pray, and then I'm going to talk about this idea of, uh, we're going to talk about Antioch. And mostly today, I want to focus on Mr. Barnabas, okay? We're going to talk about Barnabas. Who he is, what did he do, why is he important for the church in 2022? Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, we love you, and we recognize just that, that you are a good father, merciful, compassionate, you're slow to anger. Um, God, you abound in mercy, you abound in grace. And so we come seeking you today through your son, Jesus Christ, who laid his life down for us and three days later was raised from the grave and now sits at the right hand of where you're at, the Father, of course. And so, God, we thank you for today, and we ask that you just might um, just draw people to you. God, soften hardened hearts. Um, Lord, would you unlock deaf ears? Would you draw men and women and children to you? God, would you bring hope to the hopeless? Would you give joy to those who maybe have come in with despair, with worry? Uh, maybe it's anxiety because that grips so many in our culture. God, would you bring peace to those who are struggling right now, who will find themselves in the midst of chaos? Lord, would you strengthen husbands and wives and marriages, God, today? Would you draw them near to you, God? Would you bless families today, Lord? Uh, Lord, if there's anyone who's sick among, the, among us, God, would you bring healing physically and emotionally, God, we, um, we just ask that you might be here present. Um, God, that we don't just want a church service. That's not what, why we drove. That's not why we woke up and came here. Um, we actually came because we want to see you, and we want to know you. And so, God, speak to your people because we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been given a nickname? I don't know if you've ever been given a nickname. Yeah, some people have. Maybe you've given a nickname to someone. We give nicknames to um, loved ones, like their term of endearments, to those people who are close to us, uh, those people who we dearly love. During my gen junior year of high school, um, no joke here, my friends gave me the nickname Aladdin. The nickname Aladdin. And the reason why they gave me the nickname Aladdin was because I had a crush on a girl named Jasmine. You see what I'm saying here? Unfortunately, I did not have the courage to ask her out, but I did flirt with her in fifth hour chemistry, okay? So anyways, that's that. Neither here nor there, right? <laughs> sometimes, perhaps too much information for some of you, sometimes history attributes way creepier nicknames to loathsome figures in history, and these are called epithets. I think I'm saying that right, epithets. And an epithet is a word or phrase applied to a person or thing to describe an actual or attributed quality, okay? Let me give you some, uh, some examples, some infamous epithets in history. The first one is this, Ivan the Terrible. Maybe you are familiar with Ivan the Terrible in history. 
He was uh, entitled the Grand Prince of Moscow from the years 1533 to 1584. And Ivan the Terrible was known for his brutality against his enemies. He was a pretty terrible guy, obviously, hence the name Ivan the Terrible. Another one a bit more recent in history, you may, you may be familiar with this title, Dr. Death. Can you imagine hearing that page that you were in like the hospital, now paging Dr. Death, you'd be like, what? Dr. Death, Dr. Jack Kevorkian, maybe that rings a bell for some of you. He's sort of famous or maybe infamous for his assisted suicides. Pretty controversial uh, topic within the church. Dr. Death was his name. Presidents are often given nicknames. George Washington, he was called, check this out, the Sage of Mount Vernon. Isn't that cool? The Sage of Mount Vernon. I want to be a sage. I mean, the Sage of Bay City. That'd be cool, huh? <laughs> a sage is what? A very wise person, right? That's a cool name. That's a cool. But check this out. Uh, not so cool. John Adams, President John Adams, was given the nickname his rotundity. Speaking of how round he was, okay, he was a bit overweight. So if you don't know what that means, don't want to be called that one, right? Famous athletes are also given nicknames. Um, George Herman Ruth. Who's that? Anybody? Babe Ruth, right? Babe Ruth or the babe, right? The babe. Um, a bit more recent, but still, maybe this dates me just a, a little here, but whatever. Um, a basketball player by the name of Anthony Webb. He played for the Atlanta Hawks. Anybody? What was his name? Spud Webb. Awesome. Good, 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 good. Spud Webb. Even more recently, um, played for the Detroit Lions. Calvin Johnson, what was he called? Megatron. Anybody remember the Megatron days? Those were good days, weren't they? Yeah. If we could just go back, right? Anyways, whatever. Um, Megatron, um, our very own Caleb Goss, who you, he was leading worship this morning. Um, you may have not known this, but he was a bit of a, a high school uh, football star, and he would just plow through people. I think he was a linebacker. And they called him Uncle Caleb, Uncle Caleb, because he just couldn't bring him down. He would literally plow through like the entire team. He was amazing. So he showed me a clip of it as well. So it was pretty good stuff. Sometimes, listen, nicknames speak of endearing qualities, and sometimes they're more along the lines of epithets, okay? Here today, though, we have a man named Barnabas, and he's highlighted, and I want to show you something about Barnabas. He's introduced to us in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Can you put that verse up on the screen for me, if you would? Here's what it says. His name was Joseph, right? So think Joseph, Barnabas, which is cooler to you? Man, Barnabas is cooler, right? Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. So the apostles actually gave this nickname to Joseph, and they called him Barnabas. Well, why? Well, it tells you why right here. Luke says, which means what? Son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Isn't that cool? Barnabas is given this name because why? Because he is an encourager. He's an encourager. He encourages people in their faith. He, we see him in Acts chapter 11, encouraging believers who are where? In Antioch. That's where. Barnabas is encouraging believers. Here's what it says. Let's, let's look at verse 22 and 23 one more time. It says this. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent, the, so real quick here, the church in Jerusalem was a, basically a central hub for Christianity in that day. That is where, um, yeah, it was like the headquarters 
so to speak, of the Christian faith. So they send Barnabas, who's in Jerusalem, and they send him all the way up to Antioch, okay? Um, and when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done, and what, is he, what happens? He was glad. And then what does he do? It says this, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts, right? With all their hearts. I love this. I love this verse here because, again, it shows us that Barnabas was an encourager. He was an encourager. And let me just say this for you this morning, church. We need encouragers in the church today. Amen? Yeah, we need encouragers in the church today. I don't know if you knew this, but the word to encourage literally means to inspire with Courage, spirit, or confidence. Literally means to fill someone else up with courage. That's amazing, right? When you encourage someone, you get to fill that person up with courage to handle what? Any adversity that comes their way. Proverbs 12, 25, it says this. Anxiety weighs down the heart, right? We all know this, don't we? Anxiety weighs down the heart, doesn't it? Yeah, you've had those days. I'm sure you've had those days. I've had those days as well. But it says this also, but a kind word cheers it up. Mm, mm, mm. That is a good word, isn't it? But a kind word cheers it up. Now, a kind word can be encouragement. So let me just say this. General encouragement is great, okay? And we need general encouragement, okay? but we also need something much more. We, know we need those who will encourage us in the faith, someone who will encourage us in the faith. Now, there's a difference, okay? There's a, there's a difference, and I want to point that difference out to you. So, ladies, you come to church, and um, you're here, and you run into one of your girlfriends, and you're like, oh, hey, and you're like, oh. Your hair looks so good. Oh, my gosh. Rod. Like, what, what is going on with your hair? What did you do with that? It's called combing it. I combed it, yeah. And so uh, <laughs> is that Redkin? Is that Dove? What are you using? Oh, my gosh. Why your hair? Or right, um, maybe gentlemen, uh, we'll see one another, and we're like, dude, that shirt is fire on you. You are wearing the heck out of that shirt, dude. You, man, is that Versace? Is that Gucci? No, Walmart? Uh, that's what I figured, right? Okay, awesome, awesome. That's what I thought, right? And so we need, listen, that type of encouragement in our life, and that is really good because, listen, that builds us up, and we well up with, with pride, and we're like, yeah, you know what? I got the new shirt on, or, you know, I went to Walmart, or whatever it is, and uh, yeah, my hair is looking great. I actually combed it for once. It's, it's amazing what happens when you do that, right? And wow, I look awesome, and we need that because, again, it builds our self-esteem, but there is something even better. There's something better. I know. How can it get better than this, Marco? Let me, let me answer that question. Barnabas, listen, was an encourager in the faith, and that's what's better, okay? That's what we need more so than just general encouragement. An encourager in the faith is someone who will fill another with courage to continue in the faith. It's someone who encourages another to obey Jesus, listen to this, even when it's inconvenient. Ooh. Even when it's unpopular and no one else around you is doing it. An encourager will encourage you to obey and follow 
Jesus. And we need encouragers in the church today. Here's what an encourager in the faith might sound like for all of you this morning. It might sound like this. Hey, um, I want to encourage you to, to, to find a community group, to get invested in community here at church and, and do life with people. Okay? That's an encouragement. I want to encourage you. Maybe someone comes up to you and they say, I want to encourage you to keep praying. Keep praying. I know the answer. You haven't seen the answer yet. I know that you're frustrated. I know that it seems like, you know, all hope is lost, but I want to encourage you this morning, keep praying. Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. I want to just encourage you this morning, hey, God is at work when you pray. And you may not see it like with your physical eyes. God is at work in your situation. Isn't that encouraging to hear that from someone? Man, I need, to, I, need, I need to hear that sometimes. You need to hear that, right? That's what encouragement sounds like. Encouragement sounds like this. Hey, hey I, I want to encourage you today, and I want to remind you that daily obedience to Christ is where life is found. Daily obedience to Christ is where life is found. Sometimes we encourage one another with the very word of God, and we need that as well. People will say to me, they'll ask me, hey, do you do counseling? And I'll say, I'm not a counselor, but I'll give you spiritual guidance, and I may encourage you with the word of God, because God's word is always right. I might be wrong, but his word's always right. Amen? So someone comes up to you, and they encourage you with the word, and they might say something like this, hey, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 34.10. Ooh. That's good. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We need to be encouraged with the word of God. We need, we need people who will speak the word of God over our lives. Amen? Right? We need that. All of us need this, you guys. So much of Christian discipleship, did you know, is about encouragement. Once in a while, people will encourage me. They'll send me a text or whatever, and they'll just say, hey, that was a great message, or hey, I see you. Um, you know, throw a gift card at us. It's just like, and it's just small things, and it's so encouraging. It's so, it's so huge. It's small, but it's huge. It's big at the same time. It, it makes a significant difference, and it makes a significant impact. I want to just remind you that your small word of encouragement may make, probably will make, a significant impact in the life of another person. Right? So don't dismiss it. A couple of terrible golf claps, but whatever. Let's, <laughs> let's keep going. We need, encourage, we need encouragement. We need people to say, hey, do not grow weary in doing good. Now, why is this significant? I told you you can make a great impact, but let's, let's, look, at, um, let's look at the context of, our, of the text this morning, and I'll tell you why this is significant. Let's talk about Antioch for just a moment. So Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire following Rome itself and Alexandria. It had a population of a half a million people. Its main road was a road that extended four miles long, and it was uh, covered in marble. It was completely marble. And on each side of the road, there were, there were columns, the colonnades that went on each side. Antioch, check this out, it was the only city in the ancient world at that time that had its streets lighted at night tells you what kind of city this was. Half a million people, okay, a bit of a technological city, 
um, cosmopolitan city as well. But Antioch was also very wicked, okay? Uh, second, probably only to Corinth. So when you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, the reason why there's so many problems is because Corinth is uh, incredibly, um, really just secular culture that has saturated itself into the church. And this is the reason why Paul comes out the gate swinging in Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, right? Now, all of the local deities were, were worshipped in Antioch. So check this out. Roman gods were worshipped there. Greek gods were worshipped there. And Syrian gods were also worshipped in Antioch. No joke. However, the main hub of the city, the, the major shrine there was dedicated to the Greek goddess Daphne. And Daphne's worship included immoral practices, in particular, sacred prostitution. What is sacred prostitution? Sacred prostitution is, of course, selling your body for sex, but then in this case, using the proceeds to go towards a god. Pretty wicked, right? Pretty, pretty wild. Antioch was notorious throughout the Roman Empire for its immorality. So Antioch was, the, was to the Roman world what New York City or Portland is to ours. Pretty much completely secular and in so many ways godless. Why is this so significant? Well, it's significant because of this. In a very pluralistic and secular culture, a church is started. That's crazy. People are saying yes to Jesus Christ and becoming followers there in Antioch. The Antioch church actually became the church that sent Paul out to win the Gentiles. Faithful Christians, listen, faithful Christians now, or Christians are now gathering in the midst of a, of a pagan culture. Listen, and these new Christians needed all the encouragement in the world to keep on pursuing Christ and to live a life that was holy and separate. And let me just say this, the same is true for us today. The same is true for us today. We need encouragement because the current wave of our culture is moving in the exact opposite direction of Christ. I would call it antichrist. Now, the Apostle John uses this phrase, I'm going to talk about it this Tuesday night at the women's teaching, called the world. And the world is used uh, many times in the New Testament, and the world doesn't mean the physical earth. The Apostle John says, do not love the world or the things of this world. He's not saying that you can't love trees and grass. He's not saying that. He's talking about the systems that are ingrained in the world that are anti-Christ, that are opposed to God and against God. They're set up apart and against God. And we see that in our culture today, the world. It's still very applicable to our lives today. The world for us means this, ideologies, um, patterns of thinking, right? Agendas and messages that are now being promoted by who? Well, I think this is all obvious to all of us. Big tech, uh, media, government, and now so much even in education as well. Right? This is like the, the, the world. This is what we call the world. It's systems all moving against Jesus Christ. They're anti-Christ. So in the middle of this tidal wave of secularism, 
coming at us, we need to be encouraged, listen, to follow Christ and stay faithful to him despite the costs, okay? So here's what we're gonna do this morning. I wanna explain three things about encouragement that we learn from Barnabas himself. And I wanna call you, church, to be a Barnabas. I wanna call you to be a son of encouragement. I wanna call you to be a daughter of encouragement to others in the church. Three things that we can learn from Barnabas. Number one, encouragers look for the best in others. Encouragers look for the best in others. When Barnabas had arrived in Antioch, Luke tells us that he saw what the grace of God was doing and what happened, he was glad. He was glad. He could have looked at all the negative. He could have looked at what was not going right, but he chose to look at the best in the situation. Now, I want to remind you this, that in that time, or in Antioch, um, many of the believers were Gentiles. Gentiles were coming to faith. And, and, and again, let me remind you, Gentiles were non-Jewish people. And this idea of non-Jewish people being saved was radically new to the Jewish people. They were like having a real difficult time with this. Just take your Bible today, open up to Romans, open up to Galatians, and you're going to hear all this talk about, hey, Jew, Gentile, you need to get along. You're one in Christ. And so the Jewish people, so many of the Jewish people, they thought, listen, they thought that if you were going to be saved, you had to be Jewish first or you needed to be circumcised. And so listen, Barnabas could have followed suit, but instead, what does he do? He looks at the best of the situation. He finds what's good and he rejoices. He rejoices, right? He rejoices. He cheers them on because he knows, he sees that God is at work in the city of Antioch. Have you ever had a moment, I call it this, an I see in you moment? Someone, someone speaks into your life and they say, I see in you whatever it is, right? I see in you someone who really loves the Lord. I see in you someone who's going to make an incredible youth pastor someday. I see in you a gift of music and um, maybe, maybe you could be a worship leader. I see in you uh, creative ideas and entrepreneurial spirit. And listen, our city needs more thriving businesses. And I think God is choosing you. I think God is talking to you about starting that business. I see in you, right? It's a, uh, anybody experience this moment in their life? Anybody ever had this in their lives? I hope many of you have. I have. Uh, I, uh, I was about a year into being a Christian. I was living in uh, Tempe, Arizona. And uh, again, my youth pastors were like my heroes. And we were on a youth trip all together. And Pastor Doug said, I see in you a future in ministry. I was like, what? I mean, I had been a, a Jesus follower for maybe a year. Pastor Doug said he saw ministry in my life. Little did I know that this, you know, all this would happen, right? Years ago. That was an I see in you moment. And can I just say, I think it, it, it changed my life. It changed my life. An encourager looks for the best in others, but we're so pro programmed in our culture to what? To give feedback. <laughs> but feedback is normally comp comp um, comprised of what you're doing wrong first. Now, listen, I am all about improvement. Okay, I think about it all the time, okay? I'm always thinking about how things can, be, can get better, okay? But we also need in the church those who are going to find out what's right, and they're going to start there first. Does that make sense? Start off with what you see is going 
right, okay? Unfortunately, some Christians in the church, they're not encouragers. Here's what they are. They're naggers, complainers, or fault finders. Mm, 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 someone said, always pointing out what's wrong, okay? Well, that wasn't good, and pastor, you said that wrong. Why didn't you say this verse when you said that verse, pastor? Oh, look at the carpet. It's got a coffee stain and must have not got to it already. Well, she messed up the lyrics. I saw that she, she's saying something wrong, but on the screen, it wasn't saying that, and I don't know why that's there. And, and then, oh, your children's classrooms are filled again. And I, I wish I could just find a church with more classrooms. Oh, I wish I could find a church with more volunteers. Anyways, um, about to get in someone's grill this morning. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Holy Spirit, not to condemn or rebuke. Right? Oh, hey, hey. Just, just always finding faults. Like the, 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 the negative things first, you know? You know, people have come up to me, and, 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 I, and I love you. I'm trying to love you anyways. Um, People are like, hey, I can't see the lines in the parking lot. I'm like, no. I didn't know that. Right? It's like, come on, people. Like, I, of course, we, and we're working on it. We're getting bids. It's going to be done, all right? Just in Jesus' name, it's going to get done. We're working towards that goal. We just couldn't get it, do it in the middle of winter because it's called snow. Okay? So listen, <laughs> fault finders, naggers, and complainers sometimes make their home and they get cozy in the church. It's like, oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Great. All right. Listen, we all want to get better. I want to get better. You want to get better. We all want get, to get better together. But let me just say this. Don't be surprised when you find that you don't have many friends. Try leading with seeing the best in others because everyone wants to be around an encourager. Everyone wants to be around an encourager. That leads us to our second thing about encouragement, and it's this. Encouragers, what's that second word there, church? Challenge. Let's do it a little bit louder. What's that word again? Challenge. Challenge. Good, 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 good. This is really important, okay? Really important. Encourage, challenge you to stay true to the Lord in the middle of a culture that doesn't honor him. Mm-hmm. Encouragers challenge you to stay true to the Lord in the middle of a culture that doesn't honor him. So not only does an encourager see what's best in people, but they also at times challenge people. And what that means is this. That means that at, at sometimes um, your ego might be bruised. Your feelings will be just a little bit hurt. It's not because we're trying to be malicious. It's not because we're trying to attack people. In fact, it's the opposite. An encourager wants what's best for you. An encourager wants what's best for you. An encourager who challenges you might say this, hey, I understand that this is the way that the rest of the world is doing things, but you're not the rest of the world. You are called to live a holy and separate life. Therefore, your life is supposed to look radically different. Well, that hurts my feelings. Well, you'll be okay. You'll be all right. You will. If that's the worst thing that's said to you, you'll be okay. Encourage us, challenge us in this way. They might say this, hey, I understand it's more convenient to engage in these sins. I understand that it would be more pleasurable to take 
or to participate in these practices because all of your coworkers are doing this. But let me remind you from the word of God, you're called to walk by the spirit and not gratify the desires of your flesh. Galatians 5, 16, right? That's what an encourager will do at times. And yes, you may be a little bummed. Maybe you're a little ticked off. Maybe your feelings are hurt. God forbid, right? But someone has to challenge you. We're not trying to hurt people's feelings here at Radiant Church, okay? But we are trying to call people, people upwards in Christ. Right? We're trying to call people upwards in Christ. Sadly so, sadly though, so many Christians cannot get past the spirit of offense, and it takes them out. Some people probably might want to critique me because that seems very charismatic, and I don't care. It's true. The spirit of offense. You're so offended, you can't receive the challenge, and so you leave the church. It is a spirit. It's a spirit of offense. And unfortunately, that grips too many people, okay? An encourager will, at times, challenge you. Number three, encouragers want you to pursue God with all of your heart, right? That's what Barnabas did. It says it in, in, in Acts 11. It says it. Just read it. Acts 11. He encouraged the believers to follow the Lord, stay true to, true to the Lord with all of their heart. God is not looking for just obedient robots, but he does want abandoned hearts, wants abandoned hearts. The great theologian and reformer by the name of John Calvin, he once said this. He once said that the human heart is like an idol factory, right? Produces idols. Those are anything that gets in the way of God or takes God's place. John Calvin understood that the heart was fickle, and he understood how easy it is for, for us to place anything uh, in our lives but God, to, to place anything in the most desirable spot or in its highest spot but God. Behavior modification was never the point of Christian faith. So I want to just remind you of that this morning, okay? But an abandoned heart was. An abandoned heart was. God desires a heart that says, here I am, Lord. I've come to do your will, Hebrews 10, 9. And that's what God's will is, his desire for all of you. Let me say this. You see, when our hearts belong to God, it's not that we can't sin. We can sin, and we do sin. When our hearts belong to God, it's not that we can't sin. It's that sin no longer tastes good. It's like drinking orange juice after you've brushed your teeth, right? That's like kind of gross. The orange juice hasn't tasted or hasn't changed its flavor, but your palate dramatically has. You see what I'm saying? You're developing new appetites, new flavors. If we turn to Jesus, listen, we will find that sin gradually loses its flavor if we turn to Jesus. This is so important because it means this. It means that the, the, the more that we behold Jesus, the more that we get to know him, listen, the more our hearts will be transformed to look like the heart of God. And the more our hearts are transformed, the more our lives will be transformed. That's what ultimately what God desires. Before I was a Christian, I want to share something with you. Before I was a Christian, I always wanted to marry a, a, a Christian woman. 
I wanted to find a good Christian girl because I thought, you know, I, she'd be trustworthy and she'd be a great mother and a great wife. And, but when it came to the Christian faith, eh, I didn't want so much to do with that. Because as I looked at the Christian faith, I thought, well, I can't do that, I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I can't do that. I'm good. I'm good for now. I'm good for now. Someday, though, I'm going to get a Christian woman because that would be really ideal for my life. I know, it's a bit immature, but that's the way I thought. Little did I know, I was naive to the Christian faith, little did I know that when I got to know Jesus, he would change my heart. And I would no longer desire the things that I used to desire. And that's the difference between religion and a relationship. I don't want you to simply grit your teeth and follow God's ways. I want you to actually love God's ways. That's what I want from you. I want you to love God's ways, not just be at war with them. I don't want people to just stop sinning, even though that's great. I want people rather to, lo- to no longer want to be the type of people that engage in that sin. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference. There's a difference. The closer you get to the heart of God, the more your heart begins to reflect his heart. For some of you here this morning, listen, you've tried that life. You've tried the life of sin. You've tasted it, and, and, then, and then you tasted Jesus, and what happened to you was that you developed a whole new palate, new affections, new desires, and now those old sins, they're just no longer desirable to you anymore. They used to be at one time. They used to be. They used to have a stronghold on your life, but you tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, and now you want that, right? I want this, and no longer the sins that used to weigh me down. As we close this morning, listen, there's this, I think it's Psalm 86, I think it's a Psalm of David. David says, give me an undivided heart. Undivided heart. And that's what we need this morning. That's what we need today. We need an undivided heart to pursue Jesus, right? But the only way we get an undivided heart is when we pursue Jesus, is when we behold him, when we see him clearly. That's when we begin to develop an undivided heart. And let me just say this this morning as we close here in the next couple of minutes. We need Barnabases at Radiant Church. Amen? Yeah, we need Barnabases at Radiant Church. We need sons and daughters of encouragement in this house. In this house. Not somewhere else. I mean, that's great, but we need it in this house. Right. In this house. Right. We need people who, when they're encouraged, when they're challenged, who won't get so offended that they leave the church. Rather, they grow some thick skin and they accept the challenge and they rise upward in Christ. Right? That's what we need. So let me ask you a question before we, before we wrap up today. Will you encourage someone in the faith today? Would you do that today? Will you encourage someone in the faith today? Don't just tell them how great their hair looks. Don't just tell them how dynamite they look with that new dress, that new shirt. Encourage them to follow Christ in the middle of a culture that's anti-Christ. Right? Encourage believers, listen, to obey Jesus even though it will cost them something, even though it will be inconvenient. Encourage them to follow the Lord with all of their hearts, all of their hearts. Encourage people not to grow weary in doing good. 
Keep doing good. Sometimes we just need to be encouraged. Send someone a text message today. Say, I'm praying for you, right? I'm praying for you. God is for you, not against you. I see what God is doing in your life. Encourage someone today in their faith. Don't just lead with the negative. Don't just lead with what's wrong in their lives. Because I, I, I know that's a temptation for all of us, for me, myself uh, as well. But lead with what you see God doing in their life. Lead with that. I promise you, listen, someone needs your encouragement today. Someone needs your encouragement today. Listen, and just like back then in Antioch, I promise you that your word of encouragement is going to have lasting impact. It's going to make a significant change in someone's life. Oh, church, oh, would the church be a church full of Barnabases? Oh, would the church be a church full of people who encourage others to thrive in Christ, to pursue Him when all else is lost, when all else has failed? Oh, my radiant church be a church that is a encouraging church. Amen, church? That we might be sons and daughters of encouragement. That you yourself, listen, might fill someone else with courage. That you yourself might even fill your pastor with courage. That you yourself would fill that person. You have no idea how much of an impact it might make. Encourage them in their what? Their faith. Their faith, their faith. Say, keep going. It's worth it. There is, a, there is a crown of jewels that awaits you. Come on, someone, right? There is a kingdom coming. Stick it out. I know you're weary. I know you're tired. I know you, you've, you've grown frustrated with life. I know where you're at. I get it. But continue in the faith. Don't stop doing good. We need encouragers in the house of God, right? And I think, before I pray, finally, listen, I think one of the reasons why Antioch um, just thrived as a new church, it became a church that sent out the Apostle Paul, I think one of the reasons why it thrived, it wasn't simply because of good tactics, it wasn't simply because of know-how, it was because they had a Barnabas in the house encouraging people to continue in the faith. What, would, what difference would it make if you were to encourage those around you to continue to follow Jesus. Oh, that radiant church might be a church that encourages others. Man, let's pray together. God, we thank you. We love you for, um, we thank you for this chapter. We thank you for Barnabas, God. What, what a model of faith he is, full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man. He was full of faith, and he was full of encouraging words. Oh, that radiant church might be a, a church that encourages others. Oh, that radiant church might find where God is at work in the church, not where things are going wrong, not necessarily where someone messed up, but, but God, that we might be people who would, who would fill people with courage, God, to continue to walk steadfast after you, to, to continue to follow you when those around us may mock us or when it's unpopular or inconvenient, God, that we might not be offended by their words, but we might rise up to the challenge to be lifted upward in Christ's work. Oh, that we might be an encouraging church, God. So Lord, fill us with your spirit today. Lord, fill us with the knowledge of your word. God, that when we leave this place, even when I dismiss this service, that someone would go up to someone else and say, I'm, I'm just, I just want to encourage you today. I just want to encourage you today. Man, you're doing a good work. God is at work in your life. God, what a difference that would make. What a difference in our discipleship that would make. So Lord, fill us with your spirit as we go. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.